0: At this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard the disciples speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? In our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. Please pray with me. Dear Father in heaven, as we do week by week, we ask you to be here with us in this place now. And we trust that you are here in our midst. May my words be your words and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Today, we celebrate Pentecost, the day on which the Holy Spirit was unleashed upon the disciples. A mighty rush of wind, tongues as of fire, and everyone speaking in a variety of languages. And so today, though the other 51 Sundays of the year certainly feature the Holy Spirit sort of around the edges of the story, and I'd like to think that we do a pretty good job of talking about the Holy Spirit most of the time here. Today, we're really going to dive in. Pentecost is sort of the Holy Spirit's Day. We're really going to talk about the Holy Spirit. And many, as you may know, many of the great fights in Christian history have involved the nature of the Holy Spirit, right? Is there even such a thing? Is he equal to God? Should we even call him a he? Is it an it or a her? Is one really a Christian if one doesn't exude gifts of the Holy Spirit, particularly speaking in tongues? What about the gifts of the Spirit? If you look at that list that you see in Scripture and you don't see any of them evinced in you, what then? You can see how the Holy Spirit causes some great consternation for people. And so we're going to talk today on the day of Pentecost about what exactly we might make of the Holy Spirit. And so I want to sort of do a a Holy Spirit overview this morning, not in depth, but overview. I want to talk about three pieces of scripture that talk about the Holy Spirit and about the relation of the Holy Spirit to the Gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ. The first we're going to talk about is Jesus talking about the Spirit in the Gospel of John, talking about what the Holy Spirit is going to come and do. Now. More accurately, we might say that Jesus is talking about what the Holy Spirit is going to come and do to us. Then we're going to move to our reading from Acts, the story of Pentecost. And we're going to talk about what the Holy Spirit is going to come and do for us and with us. And then finally, we're going to go to Paul's second letter to the Corinthians and talk specifically about the Spirit's relationship to the good news and about what the Holy Spirit guarantees us. So those are sort of three acts this morning. Uh, First, what John promises the Holy Spirit will do to us. Second, acts what the Holy Spirit will do with and for us. And third in Paul, what the Spirit guarantees us about the good news of Jesus Christ. So let's Begin As act one of our little drama begins this morning, Jesus is still alive, but he's starting to talk about the fact that he's going to have to go away. That he'll be crucified, that he'll rise, but then he'll go away from the disciples. This is in John. And of course, the disciples want him to stay. And they want him to stay and lead them, to keep preaching to them, to keep teaching them, but Jesus is trying to get through to them with this fact that it's actually going to be good news that he be given up to the authorities and be crucified. So here's what Jesus says in John. He says, I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, Jesus says, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking what is mine and making it known to you. So." Obviously, a lot going on there. Even Jesus himself says, this is more than you can bear right now. But I want to get into it just a little bit. I want to focus in pretty narrowly. The point that Jesus is making here, at least at first, is that it's good news that he has to go away. Because it's only if he goes away that he can send the Holy Spirit back to be with them and with us. But what exactly is it that Jesus says the Holy Spirit is going to do? Well, when he comes, Jesus says he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. Convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. So the Spirit's first job description apparently is to convict the world of guilt. There are other things, of course, things that have to do with righteousness and judgment that we'll get to in later acts of our Holy Spirit drama this morning. But for now, it seems like Jesus is saying the Spirit's first job is to convict us to be the jury before whom we offer up our lives and to render a verdict. And of course, if there is a conviction involved, the verdict is guilty. Guilty. Here's how Jesus sets it up. God the creator, the father, is also God the law giver, right? Remember the first law? You shall not eat the fruit of that tree. And then there's the Ten Commandments. There's the 613 laws in the first five books of scripture. God the father, the creator, is also God the law maker and the law giver, So then Jesus says the Holy Spirit is going to come to convict the world of its guilt. (laughs) Jesus doesn't even seem to pay lip service to the possibility that somebody might be found innocent. This is the same Jesus, of course, who said, therefore, you must be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. In other words, you must follow the law in the same way that the lawmaker follows the law. So when he's talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit, Jesus presumes that we are all guilty as charged. And it's the Holy Spirit's job to render the verdict. So this is point number one. This is what the Holy Spirit does to us. He shows us our guilt. So... So when the curtain is closing on Act 1 of our drama, the outlook is pretty bleak. The Holy Spirit comes to convict. So let's skip through the intermission pretty quickly and get right to Act 2. As the curtain rises this time, we see the disciples huddled in a room shortly after Jesus' death and resurrection. They're still not quite sure what to make of the whole thing. They're not exactly sure what's happened, but they've come together on the day of Pentecost. All of a sudden, a great sound rushes in, sort of blows the room apart. Tongues, as of fire, reaches out to each one of them, and they become full of the Holy Spirit. And they start talking in all different kinds of languages. Because of this huge sound, a crowd has come, and the crowd is astonished by what they hear scripture says amazed and astonished they ask are not all these who are speaking Galileans how is it that we hear each one of us in our own native languages and listen to the list Parthians Medes Elamites residents of Mesopotamia John did an incredibly perfect job of reading this hard list of names to pronounce Judea Cappadocia Pontus and Asia Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. From every corner of the world, these people are hearing about God's deeds of power in their own language. This is what the Holy Spirit is doing with us and for us. He is participating in the redemption of Of the world. If you recall a couple of weeks ago, what happens on Pentecost here is that God is redeeming the guilty verdict rendered at the Tower of Babel. Remember all those years ago when there was one people in the world speaking one language, the people built their tower to make a name for themselves. They were justifying themselves. Look at us, they were saying. Look at what value we have. Look at what we can accomplish. That tower of stones, their pride was meant to show their deeds of power. And God rendered a verdict. He convicted them. He saw their deeds, their pride. And he saw that their deeds of power were actually pretty weak and he scattered them to the ends of the earth and confused their languages. But now, on this day of Pentecost, all these different languages are back in one room and everyone can understand everyone else again. The judgment, the conviction of Babel has been redeemed by the inrushing of the Holy Spirit. And listen to what the people are saying. These disciples, these men, just filled with the Holy Spirit, are speaking about God's deeds of power. Notice the symmetry here, right? Babel was about humankind's failed deeds of power, And Pentecost is about an announcement about what God has accomplished by his deeds of power. And what deeds of power are being proclaimed? Well, nothing other than the most recent deeds of power, the death and resurrection of God's Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. So after the bleak ending of Act 1 where the Holy Spirit came to convict the world of its guilt, we now have a Holy Spirit filling us, us, the guilty ones, and then coming out of us in uncontrollable ways, languages we don't even understand, proclaiming the redeeming death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We, the guilty disciples, are being used to proclaim the gospel. So finally we get to Act 3. What does the Holy Spirit have to do with the gospel specifically? Well, you just heard it, right? The Holy Spirit convicts of sin and then fills the redeemed sinner and has them participate in the announcement of Christ's finished work for the world. But I want to put this in real world terms for you this morning. Listen to how Paul talks about the Spirit's work in his second letter to the Corinthians. This is a letter written when Paul is at a place where he is deeply in touch with the harsh realities of human life, right? It all seems wonderful with the inrushing of the Holy Spirit in the upper room, but what about when we walk out of these doors today? This is what St. Paul says. Now we know That if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, he says, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now it is God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Listen to the terrible poetry of that. Meanwhile, he says, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because then we won't have to be found naked. We won't have to feel ashamed. But while we are in this tent, while we live here in this place, we groan and are burdened. We here, you and I, are longing for something else, longing to be in our heavenly home, but not able to be there yet because of what this life is like it is easy for us to forget the promise we forget that God can redeem things like the judgment rendered at Babel because we still feel so far flung and alone speaking a language that no one can understand we still feel Like our sin is too profound for God to get over. That it's keeping us from him. And sure, we know in our heads that Jesus said that all those who believe in him will have eternal life. But that seems so hard to grasp. Can it really be true? But now here's Paul saying that in the midst of this life, the Holy Spirit has been given to us as a deposit, guaranteeing the truth of what is to come. Now, you know how you sometimes feel close to the Lord, and sometimes you don't? You know how sometimes you feel loved, and sometimes you don't? How sometimes you feel like everything's going to be okay, and sometimes you don't? Well, Pentecost the coming, the arrival, the in rushing of the Holy Spirit preaches a powerful message to those feelings. The gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ came to earth to die in the place of we, the convicted guilty, to take the decision of that jury onto himself, that is true whether you feel good or not. Whether you feel close to God or not. Whether you feel loved or not. It's true whether you feel like everything's going to be okay or you don't. Remember, the Holy Spirit is here because Jesus ascended. The Holy Spirit is here because Jesus was raised. The empty tomb makes it possible for the Holy Spirit to dwell with us. Each one of us. Yes, even us. And yes, the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin, drives us to our knees and draws that choked cry from our throats, Jesus, save me. But then the Holy Spirit is also here to guarantee that that salvation has been accomplished. You feel far from God? The tomb was empty. You feel too sinful? The tomb was empty. You don't feel like everything's going to be okay? The tomb was empty. The Holy Spirit, His presence with us, is God keeping His promise to be with us even to the end of the age. So the Holy Spirit does something to you. He convicts you of your sin. The gavel has come down and you are guilty. But the Holy Spirit is not done with you yet. He comes to you. He comes into you, fills you up, and He is with you and for you you are now a first-person witness to the good news about Jesus Christ. And because it's objective good news about Jesus Christ, because it actually happened, because it's really true, the tomb was really empty and His work is really done, the Holy Spirit is our guarantee that it's all true. And it's true for you today. Amen.